Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Choices change us, rearrange us, exchanges us for them, and sets us on a path, saying, don't look back. You choose this, so you got that. If you choose that, you would have gotten this. But you missed in the choosing, and now it's confusing, because you thought all choices led here, not there, to a life of despair. But you chose, and that's how it goes, that every choice leads somewhere, to a bend or a dead end or a godsend. But don't pretend you didn't know that every choice leads somewhere. Forgiving leads to forgiveness. Loving leads to love. Greediness leads to neediness. And hate only leads to more of the same. It's a shame we don't more often stop at the brink of a decision and see the bigger vision of where it will lead, of how it will end, which always depends on where it began. So don't be surprised when you get where you're going, knowing your decisions got you there. So prepare, and maybe even try some prayer, because every choice leads somewhere. Greetings to all of you. In this series, Decisions That Make a Difference, we are looking at the power of our decisions and its ability to change our destiny. Where you are in life today is largely because of your decisions, and where you will be going in the future is likely dependent on your decisions as well. Every decision leads us somewhere, but it is easy to lose sight of that bigger vision when you're at the brink of a decision. As followers of Christ, God wants us to make decisions that will positively revolutionize our life and the lives of those who are around us. We're going to talk more about it today as we wrap up this uh, sermon series. I want to welcome all those uh, watching from our various regionals, uh, the Crowfoot Theaters in Northwest Calgary. A big hello to Pastor Lawson Brown out there. Our regional in Bridgeland, hello, Pastor Tim Hayes. And those of you who are watching from Airdrie, hello to Pastor Travis. And I want to greet our congregation in the south part of Calgary. Hello to Pastor Tim Walkman. We indeed are one church in many locations. I have exciting news. No, we are not having another baby. <laughs> uh, my parents are visiting us from India. So I had the joy of seeing them after four years. And they are here today in the service, their first time at Center Street Church, and I'm absolutely thrilled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Alfred Nobel specialized in chemical engineering and made his living out of selling explosives. At age 33, he invented dynamite. The irony is, Alfred assumed that the invention would end all killings. That the knowledge of dynamite's explosive powers will make people cringe at the very idea of war. But instead, dynamite was used to annihilate thousands of people. 
1888, when Alfred's brother died, a newspaper wrongly assumed that it was Alfred who was dead and mistakenly published his obituary, in which he was referred to as the merchant of death. Few people will have this rare opportunity to read their obituary when they are alive and find out how they will be remembered. But Alfred did, and as you can imagine, it had a deep impact on his life. Eight years later, when Alfred kicked the bucket, this time for real, his family was surprised to find that he had left all of his life's earnings to establish five yearly prizes for those who have conferred greatest benefit on humanity. So it covers a variety of fields, including the famous Nobel Prize for Peace. So rather than being a merchant of death, Nobel's destiny changed, and he's now forever associated with peace. Decisions make a difference. The Bible presents to us several examples of life-altering decisions. I've talked to you in this series about how the Bible writers intentionally bring two characters together so we can compare and contrast their lives and see the consequences of their decisions. So far, we've looked at the lives of uh, Abraham and Lot, Jacob and Esau, and Orpah and Ruth. In the final sermon of the series, I want to focus on another famous pair from the Bible. But let me set the stage for us before I introduce the characters. The scripture clearly teaches that God has a destiny for our life. He leads us and guides us in line with His plans and purposes, His larger vision for each of our life. But what happens when, by our own actions, we decide to leave the path of God's perfect will for our life? What happens when we take a detour from following God's plan towards a destiny of our own? Maybe you ended up breaking a moral commandment and it has now become a lifestyle. Or you are addicted to a substance or a habit that is destroying you. Maybe you were involved in a divorce where you were personally responsible for the breakup and now you are living in guilt. Or you made poor financial choices that has got you into major trouble. Or maybe it's a self-centered decision that you made that has derailed you from the path God originally called you to. How do we make up for such bad decisions to detour from God's plan? We're going to learn some lessons today. The Bible presents to us two characters. Both started off very well, but they lost their focus and took a detour from God's plan. One of them continued in the path of rebellion, while the other chose to repent and return back to God's highway. And that decision made all the difference. Today we're going to look at the life of Saul and David. And if you are on a detour from God's plan for your life, I pray that God would speak to you personally today. 
May I ask us to stand as we read from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 10 to 26, and Psalm 51, verses 1 to 13. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and uh, brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Psalm 51, verses 1 to 13 for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, we are looking at a heavy message today. I pray that you will give me an extra measure of your grace and your strength to speak the truth without compromise, to call sin for what it is. And we pray, O oh God, that you will give us a humble heart. May there be a convicting work of your Spirit evident in our midst. Holy Spirit, we give you full freedom to move in this place and to accomplish all that you have in mind for us today. For we pray this in the powerful and matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Someone gave a, a definition of a good sermon. It should have a good beginning. It should have a good ending. And they should be as close together as possible. Well, if that's the definition of a good sermon, I can tell you this one ain't going to be good. Because <laughs> we have a lot of material to cover. To start with, let me point to you some similarities between David and Saul. Both Saul and David had similar origins. Their families were herders, and both were in charge of animals. Both were anointed by Samuel to be king and filled with the Holy Spirit. They became kings at approximately 30 years of age, and they both ruled for 40 years. Both Saul and David started off well, but they made bad choices, and their life took a detour. Now, I want you to visualize it this way. If our spiritual life can be seen as traveling on God's highway, a detour is getting off that path and going in a direction of our own. God does not plan this detour for our life. It is a result of our personal choice. Now, I want to show you Saul and David's detour, and then we will take a look at how they responded to God's correction. So here is Saul's story of detour. Saul was the first person to become the king of Israel. It was said of Saul at the time he was anointed as king, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all people. Saul was a head taller than all the others in Israel. And Saul had a good beginning, a promising start. But it's not enough to start well in life. We need to finish well. And unfortunately, Saul got carried away by his success. Took his eyes off the Lord, lost his focus, and his life went on a detour from God's plan. We find in 1 Samuel chapter 13, 
Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel to come to offer the sacrifices before Israel would go out for war. But an impatient Saul took matters in his own hands and offered the sacrifices himself. And God was not very pleased. Two chapters later in 1 Samuel 15, the prophet Samuel came to Saul with a clear word from the Lord. Destroy the Amalekites. Don't spare anyone or anything, men, women, children, and animals. At the outset, it seems like a harsh command. But God was using the Israelites to execute judgment on a people group that richly deserved it. So the command from God to Saul was to utterly destroy everything. There's no room for any loopholes in the language. But Saul's obedience was at best partial. And partial obedience is disobedience in the sight of God. We can see here a glimpse of Saul's heart condition. For our actions always flow from the heart. Look at what the Lord says about Saul in 1 Samuel 15 verse 11. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. So that's God's assessment of Saul. He has turned away from me. And that's just another word for detour. Saul's life had just run off course. And do you see the order there? Saul has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. There's always a turning away that happens prior to disobedience. For our acts of disobedience are only symptomatic. They flow from a heart that is alienated from God. And that is why the biggest problem in our world is not sexual immorality. It's not divorce. It's not broken families. It's not hatred. For these things are mere symptoms. But the biggest problem in our world today is we have a generation that has turned away from God. And we are reaping the consequences of that catastrophic decision. Saul turned away from God and went on a detour. His mind was just bent on following his own heart. I want to show you how self-centered Saul's actions were. Firstly, he destroyed everything that was worthless and kept the best part for himself. In 1 Samuel 15, 9, it says, But Saul and the army spared Agog and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. And right after that, Saul went on to construct a monument for himself to celebrate his victory. For this entire episode was all about Saul rather than God's purposes. He wanted to be the hero, the center of attention. When we take a detour in life, 
We replace God and put ourselves in the driver's seat, and life starts revolving around us. That's a clear evidence that you're walking on a detour. Now, let me show you David's detour. And the story is a lot more graphic. David is presented in the scripture as a man after God's own heart. There's no higher compliment than that. All through the time when David was tested, when Saul was at his heels in hot pursuit for years, David stayed faithful to the Lord. David is now king. He had won numerous battles. He's an epitome of success. Life became comfortable. And David took his eyes off the Lord. And there came a season in David's life when he went on a detour, a walk in the dark, and he tumbled headlong in the pit of sin. In the time of the year when kings were supposed to go to battles and lead their armies, David chose to remain in his palace and shirked his call of duty. And while taking a leisurely walk on the roof of the palace, he spied on a beautiful woman bathing. But the problem was Bathsheba was married and committed to her husband. So David abused his authority as king to overpower her will, slept with her, and she became pregnant. The scripture doesn't hide any of the graphic details of its heroes, even the scars. The sin didn't stop there. To cover up his mess, David plotted the murder of Bathsheba's husband and successfully executed that plan. And as if nothing had happened, he asked Bathsheba to join his harem of wives. This man after God's own heart, who had walked all along in the path of obedience, halted, took his eyes off the Lord, went on a detour that resulted in a disaster. Let me tell you, detours can happen to any one of us. None of us are exempted from it if we are not careful. Maybe you can identify with Saul. Or maybe you identify with David. You've taken your eyes off the Lord. And before you know, you made a series of bad decisions. And today, your life is unraveling at the seams. And deep inside, you're wondering, do I have any hope? Or have I forever missed out on God's best for my life? I want you to hear me. God, in His mercy, doesn't let us go in that path forever. He inevitably gets our attention. For God's heart is not to condemn you, but he desires to bring conviction, which in turn will result in our conversion. God sent Samuel the prophet to confront Saul. 
And Samuel spoke those famous words. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying His voice? It's the same with David. David was living in sin and acting as though everything was fine. A year had gone by since he had gone on this detour. But God, in his mercy, sends Nathan the prophet to confront him. And Nathan utters those famous words, David, you are the man. And God, in his grace, convicts us today when we go astray. He sends people our circumstances to get our attention. He speaks to us through a sermon or a book. The Holy Spirit convicts our heart. Now the decisions that you make in response to God's conviction will make all the difference. Are you going to make a mid-coast correction to align yourselves back on God's highway? Or are you going to continue in that detour that will result in destruction? I'm going to show you now David's response. And I'll compare it with Saul's response. So you can clearly see the difference between the two. As soon as David heard Nathan's rebuke, I'm sure he was shell-shocked. It came out of the blue. It hit him like a lightning bolt. And David could have done any number of things to justify himself here. He could have gotten Nathan killed. He could have put the blame on Bathsheba and say she was responsible for it. Or he could have said, I am the king. I am entitled to this pleasure. Go fly a kite. But David does not attempt to justify himself. Instead, there is a deep, heartfelt confession. He demonstrates a broken heart and a contrite spirit. David did not play the blame game, but took responsibility for his actions. And that is the first step when you try to recover from a detour. Admitting that you are wrong. Psalm 51, which David wrote right after being confronted by prophet Nathan, is the greatest and complete expression of repentance in the Bible. In Psalm 51, verse 3, David says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. David couldn't get his sin off his mind, not for a moment. He says in Psalm 32, 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Your sins cannot be hidden. You cannot sweep it under the rug. You cannot pretend everything is fine. Your sins need to be confessed before the Lord. Saul, on the other hand, never admitted that he was on a detour. He put on a show and pretended that everything was okay with his life. Look at 1 Samuel 15, verse 13. When Samuel reached him, 
Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Seriously? Saul, are you kidding here? What kind of a delusion is this that even when you're living in disobedience to God, you could say it's all fine? Now listen to me. As a Christian, when you sin and don't feel the conviction of the Spirit, when the promptings of the Spirit become faint, you are treading on danger zone. But because you're going to come to a point in your life where you will start sinning and not even feel guilty about it. Guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body. Just as pain, physical pain, is a, a natural mechanism to protect our body, God has designed guilt to serve as a natural mechanism to protect our soul. Pain is not good, but it is essential. It serves a greater purpose. And it's the same with guilt. And just as when you don't feel pain, you could destroy your body without even knowing it, in the same way when we don't feel guilt, we will end up destroying our soul. I want you to look at David. He not just acknowledged he had sinned, but he confessed that he had sinned against the Lord. Look at Psalm 51 verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. As you look at the account of David's sin, you see that David had terribly sinned against Bathsheba. He violated her. His sin against his faithful soldier Uriah was nauseating. For Uriah was a man who stood head and shoulders about David as a person of integrity. But as he is recounting his sin in this psalm, interestingly, David says here, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. For his offense was first and foremost against God. David had broken God's commandments and his actions were an affront to the holiness of God. The most important truth about sin that is least recognized today is every sin is ultimately a sin against God. Let's not downplay that. While the Bible acknowledges the horizontal dimension of sin, it consistently presents sin as a vertical offense. That, I tell you, is what sets biblical repentance apart. For true biblical repentance is not merely feeling bad or sorry or being remorseful for your actions. But it's coming to that deep realization that you have sinned against God Almighty and you need His forgiveness. You know, I'll tell you what worries me about our modern day flippant attitude towards repentance. People don't come to terms with the gravity of their offense against God, but they merely want forgiveness because it's therapeutic. 
The reason why people would confess their sins and go right back into that same sin and the same old lifestyle is because they have no conception of the gravity of their offense. And they make God's grace and forgiveness appear cheap. That was Saul's problem. You will never see Saul truly acknowledging his offense. He continued to defend himself. He said to Samuel, I did obey God. I went on the mission the Lord sent me. And after that, Saul tried to minimize his failure. I did most of the things the Lord has asked me to do. And finally, he threw the blame at others. The soldiers, they spared the best of sheep and cattle. It was their fault. Can you see the difference in heart attitude between David and Saul when they were confronted with their sin? David, having acknowledged he had sinned against God, pleads in Psalm 51, verses 7 to 9, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. David felt the weight of his guilt in his soul. He knew the implications of his actions. He was fully aware of the gravity of his offense. And having come to terms with that, now he cries out for God's forgiveness. He appeals to God's loving kindness to wipe his sins away like a clean slate. I want to remind you here, when we come to God with the right attitude of repentance, with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, with the burden of our sins and the weight of our guilt in our soul. We are not appealing for relief from a mean-spirited judge above with a hardened heart. No. We are appealing to a God who has made a covenant with us to love us who demonstrated his perfect love on the cross when he died for all our sins, the very sins we are confessing even right now. And that's why he alone is qualified to wipe away our sins and make our slate clean. And God not just forgives our sins, he says, I will remember them no more. The hymn writer knew what he was talking about when he wrote, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else can heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles, and he will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Church, there is only one faithful friend for every sinner. It's Jesus. He knows all about our struggles, and he will never despise or reject you when you come to him with a broken heart. But you may ask, 
Then Saul also asked for forgiveness. Why was Saul not forgiven? Saul did feel sorry for the consequences of his actions, but his heart remained untouched. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 30, it says, Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Honor me. Say my face in front of the people. That seemed more important to Saul rather than a right standing with God. It was all about his self-image. But look at David's cry. David is not covering up his sins. He goes on to write this psalm for everyone to read. David's actions are no longer a secret. All of Israel knew about it. He says in Psalm 51, 10 to 12, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. When David sinned against God, he did not lose his salvation, but he lost his joy. He lost his intimacy with God. He once knew the sweetness of fellowship with God as the psalmist of Israel when he sang those songs of praise and worship. But now God seems so far and distant and on the other side. He once knew the anointing of the Spirit when he slayed giants. But now he was weak and powerless. He once knew God's comfort in suffering but now his soul was parched and in deep distress. No joy, no peace, no power, no comfort. Life had all of a sudden become dark and miserable for David. That's the consequence of going on a sinful detour from God's plans. Now David pleads, Lord, please don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And please, Lord, restore back to me all that I have lost, the joy of your salvation. I want you to look at Saul in contrast. In 1 Samuel 15, Three times Saul makes reference to God in the second person. The Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. That's because he couldn't say from his heart, the Lord, my God. Saul knew very well that God was no longer personal. He lost that intimacy. God had become distant, and Saul was fine with it. The Lord went on, to take his Holy Spirit off Saul. And an evil spirit came to trouble him. Saul turned into a merciless maniac who messed up his life and destroyed the lives of several others. 
until Saul's life just spiraled down and down until he finally crashed and his life ended in suicide. David, on the other hand, returned back to God in repentance. And David's life serves as an example of God's restorative grace. God can bring something good out of evil. Pastor Urban Lutzer says, bad decisions cannot be undone, but they can be redeemed. Bad decisions cannot be undone, but they can be redeemed. So that means you don't have to be defined by your bad decisions because we serve a God who can take what we offer him and turn it around for your good. For God is much bigger than our mistakes. His grace is stronger than our sins. Just because you have fallen doesn't mean the race is over. Jesus has the power to raise you up and enable you to complete the race. I don't want to minimize the consequences of David's sin. Some of them are irreversible, including the death of the baby that Bathsheba gave birth. But I want to show you here the beauty of redemption. When God redeems your bad decisions, this is what it will look like. David and Bathsheba were married, and they went on to have another baby. They named him Solomon. Strictly speaking, Solomon should not have been born. If David had never sinned against Bathsheba, she would have still been Uriah's wife. Solomon should have never been conceived. But Solomon was born, and the Bible says the Lord loved Solomon. And among all the sons of David... It is Solomon who goes on to become the next king of Israel and goes on to build a temple for God. Isn't that amazing? And both Bathsheba and Solomon, who should have never been in the picture in the first place, who should have never shown up in David's life, were not only part of David's family, but they are now chosen to appear in the royal lineage of Jesus Christ. They are drafted into esteemed company. Aren't you glad that with God you don't get what you deserve? The truth is, there are no perfect people in this room. There are no perfect people in our church. Every single one of us, we battle with temptations to go on detours, away from God's perfect plan for our life. The question is, are we going to be stubborn like Saul, or are we going to be tender-hearted like David? That is the bottom line. And that's what makes all the difference. I want to close with this. The book, One Not One Hymn Stories, tells the story of Robert Robinson, the writer of the famous hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. 
Robert Robinson lived as a derelict in London. Until the age of 17, he was converted by listening to the great preacher, George Whitfield. Within a few years, Robinson felt a call to preach and entered into Christian ministry. At age 23, he composed this beautiful hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. The second last stanza of the hymn never fails to move me. Robinson wrote, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy coats above. Robert Robinson, the one who had a powerful conversion experience, the one who penned these moving words, took a big detour from God's plan for his life and wandered far away from the faith. Years went by, and a story is told that one day while traveling in a coach, he saw a lady joyously humming one of her favorite hymns. And turning to Robinson, she asked if he knew the hymn that had ministered to her so much. And it seems Robinson replied with tears, Ma'am, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I could for one second to experience the joy I had when I wrote that song. History differs in its opinion as to whether he returned back to the faith or not. But I do hope he did. But I want to challenge you today. If you have taken a detour, you walked in your own direction away from God's plan for your life. It's not too late. You can return back to the highway. You can align yourselves back with God and God can redeem your bad decisions. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to many of you today. He wants to get your attention he wants you to respond by saying Lord I repent not a shallow cultural way of repentance not a therapeutic forgiveness but a broken heart and a contrite spirit the Lord wants us to offer our heart to him and mean it from our heart that he will seal us forever to follow him all the days of our life. I want to ask all of us to stand as we come to an end. I want us to maintain a moment of silence right now. This is a very important moment in the service prayed for this moment that God would come alive in this place that 
God would do what he alone can do, that his restorative grace will be evident in our midst today. So I want you to just close your eyes in the quietness of your heart. Just be in tune with his spirit and what he is speaking to you today. hearing the voice of Jesus. He's drawing you back again. This is the time for you to respond. Don't resist that tug. Don't harden your heart. This is a moment for you to be tender in your response to God. And I was asking God how to finish the service. I felt an impression in my heart that there are many of you here, you have lost something in your walk with God. There was a time in your life when you had the joy bubbling in your soul. But now that has become a distant memory. And there was a time in your life when you were anointed and filled with the Spirit. You had power. Now you feel weak and powerless. There was a time in your life when you were passionate and alive for God, but now you've grown cold. There was a time in your life when you had His comforting presence, but now you're longing for that. Friend, whatever it is, God wants to restore back what you've lost. So would you just stretch forth your hand even right now in a posture of humility and brokenness and say, Lord, please restore what I have lost. Let there be an outpouring of joy in this place. Let there be an outpouring of His Spirit's presence. Let there be an outpouring of His comforting touch. Lord, we pray, restore us, restore us all that we have lost, a double portion, Lord, that our heart will once again come alive, that none of us will leave this place with a hardened heart. We pray that you will soften us, that we will return back to you and make a commitment to follow you faithfully that you will seal this decision, that our lives will bring glory and honor and may we reflect that restorative grace that even through our lives, Lord, many will come to know the truth. So we pray that you will do by the power of your spirit what you alone can do. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of our Heavenly Father and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. 
For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.